Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on our Cyfarth Shaw podcast, The Future of Healthcare, a fireside chat with Dr. Newt Mehta. I'm Scott Hecker, a senior counsel in Cyfarth's DC office, where I'm a member of the labor and employment group focused on workplace safety as well as wage and hour issues. Before coming to Cyfarth, I spent about a dozen years in the U.S. Department of Labor's solicitor's office. And for the last five or so of those, I represented OSHA as a member of SOL's Occupational Safety and Health Division. With me today is my good friend, Dr. Newt Mehta. Newt, uh, could you, uh, it, it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, having me. And uh, we're glad to be chatting with you. Newt has his MD and PH from Harvard. He's been a business consultant, a healthcare executive, uh, practicing hospital doctor, a role he still fills. And he's also now working with Partners in Health to advise several state and local health departments on overall COVID response along the spectrum of test, trace, and self-isolate. So, Newt, thanks again. Um, we've seen a fractured COVID-19 response across the U.S. As OSHA has repeatedly said, it won't issue an emergency temporary standard. So, we've got states and counties and other municipalities performing kind of a gap-filling role. Uh, it feels like we have at least as many orders and revisions, updates, rescissions, reissuances, um, governing the response to COVID as we have jurisdictions across the country. Uh, with some states even putting out or considering issuing their own temporary standards. This patchwork response leaves employers and employees in all sectors, really, in a difficult spot as they scramble to stay up to date and maintain safety in their workplaces. For national operations, uh, the difficulties increase because you, these entities have to comply with 50 or more legal or regulatory systems. You add into the mix various liability shields, that protect different industries with different legal standards and different definitions of who's covered. And you really got these ever shifting castles built on sand. Um, for a deeper understanding of what's going on with the liability shield issue, I definitely recommend to our audience today an October 29th legal update by some of my Cypher's colleagues. And they can, you can find that out on the Cypher's website, the firm's website. So one industry at the top of the list for liability protection and also for OSHA enforcement activity is healthcare. Uh, we've seen OSHA primarily use its respiratory protection, reporting, and record-keeping rules to issue COVID-related violations in the healthcare sector. Even without a COVID-specific standard, OSHA certainly has and will continue to enforce its existing regulations uh, along with the general duty clause of the OSHA Act. So with all that as background, Noop, this is where this is where you come in and, and relay your expertise. So, Noop, how have you seen the provision of healthcare services affected by the pandemic? Well, thanks, Scott. I think uh, all of your listeners would probably agree um, provision of healthcare in this country has uh, experienced just a tremendous change uh, during the, the pandemic. Um, I think, first of all, you know, very early on, we saw a really high increase in, in the number of hospitalizations directly related to COVID as um, the pandemic ripped through um, nursing homes and other congregate settings. At the same time, um, we actually saw a big decrease um, in elective surgeries. Um, but what was fascinating was uh, in addition to planned reductions in hospitalizations, we saw significant decreases in the baseline rate of other acute illnesses. Think heart attacks and strokes um, uh, or congestive heart failure. What we were seeing, frankly, is that people were afraid to go to the hospital and so they delayed their care. But perhaps the biggest shift that we've noticed has been a, a huge movement towards virtual care. 
Um, prior to COVID, something like 2% of all healthcare provision was done uh, virtually, either over the telephone or over, over video. But at the height of the pandemic, we saw uh, care uh, up to upwards of 80% in some places. And um, we, we really, you know, began to realize that I think a lot of care can be delivered um, safely um, and effectively over these alternative um, mechanisms. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Uh, something you said about the sort of historical numbers uh, made me think, you know, what what is how does this response compare historically, I guess, to how how the healthcare system dealt with swine flu or Ebola or even TB, which, you know, I know is an ongoing issue in, in healthcare settings. Yeah, I think, Scott, first and foremost, you know, COVID has really had just far more transmission in the U.S. than than either swine flu or Ebola. Um, it's just, you know, a tremendously large penetration. It has a lot to do with the characteristics of the virus um, in that we know people are transmitting it prior to developing symptoms. And we know people, some people are never developing symptoms and, and unfortunately are, are spreading it that way. I think the other, you know, sort of major issue is that, uh, and you sort of mentioned this in your introductory remarks is, there hasn't been a national strategy uh, to, to managing the, the pandemic. Um, and, and public health departments were frankly not prepared or resourced well enough to be able to have a coordinated effort against the disease. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that having a lack of, of federal response or an underwhelming federal response has gotta be difficult, particularly where you have these, uh, you know, different setups in, in each jurisdiction, and I'm sure healthcare has to respond to that too. Um, so of all the changes uh, that you've noted and, and the differences you've seen historically as compared to COVID-19, what, what do you think is going to stick? Like what's the, we talk about the new normal, what's the new normal in healthcare? Yeah, you know, I think there is going to be a gradual returning to to face-to-face -to -face, um, interactions as uh, people become, you know, feel more comfortable with safety protocols. And of course, uh, as the vaccine uh, expands around the country, I think people will feel more and more comfortable with um, moving back to face-to-face -to -face care. However, I think the cat's out of the bag a little bit here. I think people have realized the um, convenience, the practicality, uh, and frankly, that there aren't bad outcomes when you deliver care over these telemedicine platforms. And I suspect that Patients are going to want to, uh, to have more of their care uh, done online. I think providers recognize the convenience uh, of delivering care this way. And I think payers uh, will recognize that this is something that they should be reimbursing because it really provides uh, quick access for patients to, to achieve the, you know, to receive the care that they need. Um, I do think that people are going to start, you know, paying for this and it's going to be a pretty viable market. I think up to, 20% of, of uh, clinical care in the U.S. will, will shift to, to, virtual, to virtual medicine. Yeah, I mean, obviously remote work has, has become incredibly widespread. <laughs> what you're talking about makes me think like, oh, another meeting that could have been an email. You know, you don't necessarily <laughs> have to be in the room, have to be in the room with your, your healthcare provider. But, right. I, you know, really appreciate your insights, Newt. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. And thanks to everyone out there who's, who's listening. I uh, hope you can join us for our next Cypher podcast. 
Um, and to the audience, uh, please feel free to reach out to me or your favorite CIFARTH attorney if you have questions or are looking for additional guidance.